Hi, everybody. Hello. We are coming to you from the Sydney Writers Festival. Oh, well, and more specifically, a kind of uh, fantastic little dressing room with a really aggressive air conditioning system yeah. which we felt really worked with our poor sound quality. Yeah, we said to the lady, have you got a room that's got some really loud ambient noise that we can <laughs> record in? But we just signed in and like one of the best things about being um, in the Writers' Festival is that you get to go backstage and kind of, you know, so this is the only time that we will ever, I suspect, be backstage in a professional oh, ca capacity so at Ros Packer Theatre. <laughs> but it's great because you're like back with all the mechanics and all the, you know, you get a really great glimpse of how it all works and the other thing is that we signed in just behind Kerry O'Brien and Paul <laughs> Keating who are obviously doing something you know bigger and more profound than we are somewhere else in the building. I'm desperately so, hoping that the interruption to this week's podcast is Paul Keating. We'll just be Paul Keating like blundering into this dressing room looking for the loo. G'day love. <laughs> Um, I also must say, every time I come into a dressing room like this, it makes me covet having a mirror in my house that I can sit down at with light bulbs all around it. And that's because you're a colossal it just, makes me feel, <laughs> it just makes me feel like a star. Um, I love coming to writers' festivals. Yeah, me too. They're so good, but I never manage to see enough things. I just always have too much on. Yeah, and um, this year too, I've sort of signed up enthusiastically for, for all these events, and then it turns out we're filming Kitchen Cabinet at the same time, so I'm going to leave here and go to Perth, <sighs> yeah, which is really annoying. Um, you know this exact venue? So we're doing, Crab and I in about 40 minutes are doing an event at the Roslyn Packer Theatre in Sydney, and I saw in this very venue a few years back now, mm. Helen Garner, mm. reading aloud, I, I forget what book it was, mm. anyway, it was, uh, oh, it was The Spare Room, The right, Spare Room okay. had just come out, um, and then she read aloud from her journal where she just jots down bits and pieces mm. of, you know, writing yeah. snippets. And she read aloud this story about just walking down the street and this young child throwing a tantrum, and it was just... So, who else could just see that and then make a yeah. wonderful little five-minute vignette about it? And it was one of those things where I just—it was so great and so enjoyable, and I was just so full of pleasure listening to it. And at the same time, so full of despair at the idea that I could never ever do something like that. I'm great. actually rewarding myself at the moment. Like when I um, achieve something minor on a domestic front, I reward myself with a little bit of her new book because I'm determined not to scoff it all at once. This is the everywhere I look one. And it, I just, it's such a delight because it alternates really quickly between like making you weep and then just absolutely piss yourself laughing. And yeah. there's this one little, um, I don't know, just the other day on the bus, I read this fabulous little thing, which was about her, um, she was babysitting her grandson and her grandson came into the bed and then like wriggled and wriggled and wriggled all night. She's just this one line, I don't know, it doesn't mean anything. It was just made me just bark like a seal when I read it. It just said... <laughs> At about 5am, I thought, Jesus Christ, this is worse than being married. <laughs> <laughs> I screamed with laughter at that too. There were so many bits in it that were funny though. Like, I laughed a lot reading that yeah. book. Have you read the one yet where she goes to the doctor to get her skin cancer checked? No, but oh, that's just like... Okay, I won't that, even... It just sounds like Ghana gold though. I'm like, not going to even tell you the funny lines. It, I'm it's reading it in a sort of arse-about way. I'm just picking out bits oh, because okay, that right. way I know that when I go and read it again you know, from front to back, I'll find bits that I've missed. That yeah, that's like, great. You know, what about, have you read the one about Tim Winton? 
So this is fantastic. She's written this. It's like six observations about Tim Winton or something is the structure. Just the balls on the lady. It's oh, just fantastic. amazing. Mm. And I love it. She's so honest too. Like she talks about it at a certain point in the 80s where I think it was Cloud Street had come out and she says, oh, I couldn't help but feel annoyed that he wrote this book that everyone loved and I wrote this book that nobody loved. <laughs> I think Cosmo Cosmolino. No, it was um, the first stone, wasn't it? Like it was... Um, no. I can't... It wouldn't have been from that... That no. era would have been postcards from surfers or something. Yeah, but, right. um, but anyway, it was so good. But there was I a great Cosmo anecdote. Cosmolino, by the way. Oh, I can't remember. Are you right implying now? that nobody loved that book? No, Helen said. Oh, that, right, okay. Um, or maybe it was postcards from surfers. It was, she was referring to a book yeah. earlier in her career. But um, there was a great anecdote about Winton where they've gone to church <laughs> together. <laughs> they go to take communion, and she swears that as the priest puts the host into Winton's mouth, he goes, "Thanks, mate." <laughs> Oh, so good. And this is a bit ridiculous, really, because we've sat down and already we've been talking about Ellen Garland for 10 oh, minutes. It's it's just, just, we've got to really... We've got to broaden you know, We've got to pick a new lane. Hey, buddy, check. You must let someone who's... T oh, a new podcast. Oh, God. More God. Hey, by any chance, you know how last time I was talking about the podcast Bowerville? Yes. Have you had a chance to listen to it? Oh, my God. Right, so I just consumed the whole thing. Um, it's... It's, it's unbelievable. It's great. And um, what the best thing about it is, is, you know, like you've been reading about this unbelievable situation in Bowerville where there's um, three children were killed in really similar circumstances um, in the early 90s. I think it was actually 1990, so like a long time ago. And um, there was this guy who's kind of the lead suspect in the case, a white guy, who was... Um, tried for two of the murders but separately and so a lot of the there's a lot of kind of cumulative kind of pattern evidence which wasn't taken into account because um uh the cases were tried separately and it's like it's actually like a really complex area of, of um of criminal law as to when you can recognize a, you know a pattern of offending or try cases together and the judge in this particular who was called upon to make this judgment went with trying them separately and because he's been acquitted on these two um, charges through the law of double jeopardy you know he can't be tried again and that community has just been working for decades mm. you know to try and have it retried have it tried together and you know and it's just sort of gone nowhere although things are sort of starting to shift a little bit but you know, I've been reading stuff about that case for years, mm. as is everybody. Um, but the most striking thing is just um, hearing the voices of yeah. the families and hearing it all brought together and yeah. through their voices. And um, Dan Box, the reporter who's pulled it together, who works for the Australian newspaper, who I really highly rate, he's very, very fair and thorough. I've done, mm. been on a few stories at the same time as him, and yeah. I'm just always impressed by his yeah. utter even-handedness, and he's very meticulous. Um, he's just done the most amazing job of mm. pulling it together. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sort of um, spoil it by going into every bit of it for someone who wants to listen to it fresh, but... I, I found all of it utterly compelling, but the final episode yeah. where a key um, person in the story Dan ends up speaking to, uh, it was just, I, I was just 
yeah. barely moving, listening yeah. to it, I was glued to it. It was just absolutely yeah. incredible. And you, you, of course, form your own judgments about what's gone on. And uh, yeah, it was just a very, very impressive piece of work. I the thought. interesting thing is too that like it, it borrows stylistically from Serial, absolutely. 100%. Like so, even to the the music is kind of similar. And and. Even when they're in the car, Dan and his producer, yeah, yeah. and they recreate a, yeah. okay, we're just going to like do the uh, timing of driving yeah. from here to here to see if it's plausible. I mean, straight out of cereal. Yeah. Um, but that's and, fine. You know, next okay. time on Barrowville. Yeah. Um, so it's beautifully produced. But like, the interesting thing is, like, so Dan is English-born, right? So he's got an English accent, which I think really works because he's an outsider to the town. He's an outsider to the community. He's an outsider to the culture. Um, and I think, weirdly, the fact that he has um, a foreign accent really helps to clarify his role as an outsider, I reckon. Mm, it's interesting. interesting yeah. like, I think, I actually, while I was listening to it, thought, I'm glad this is not in an Australian accent. Because yeah, I think, right. I think an Australian accent going in there would sound, I mean, I'm, I know I'm sounding totally crazy here. So no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But it would sound as though there were pretensions to membership of that community that mm. there aren't. Like, mm. it's so clear that particularly when he's um, talking to people on what they call the mission, like the Aboriginal side of town, you know, he is such, he is such an outsider and it, you know, you're constantly reminded of that because in the end like this is a story that is an Aboriginal story about with some incredibly tough and very obvious conclusions to be drawn about how these families were treated and the inescapable conclusion that if those had been white kids you would never see um, a situation like this no. lasting for all There's no, if, if three white kids on the same street of Mossman or yeah. whatever, North Adelaide went missing. Yeah. It would be one of the biggest stories in the country, yeah. you know. So um, I think also to your point with Dan's voice, um, he has a fair, he's quite a softly spoken guy and yeah. he has a very yeah. dispassionate way yeah. of speaking in real life yeah. and in this podcast. Yeah. And so that I think also helps lend that perspective of this the dis dispassionate yeah. observer coming into the situation. It's quite interesting to hear him dealing with talking to people who don't want to talk to him, you know, because mm. he's you know, he's wired up and he's knocking on people's doors. It, his, his technique is really interesting, actually. Like yeah, I he thought keeps, so too. He keeps people talking even when they're telling him to kind of go away. He's just sort of pursuing these little kind of openings in the conversation, which is really hard to do. It's really hard to do, um, particularly when you're knocking on the door of someone you know is not going to want to talk to you. Mm. It's nerve-wracking. It's kind of you've got a rush of adrenaline because you think you've only got a tiny chance to see if you can talk mm. this person around. It's really yeah, and he he does... It's quite... I thought exactly the same listening to it and pretty much everyone that he does that to ends up talking to him, yeah. including there's quite a hostile scene where he arrives yeah. um, in front of a house and he's sitting in the car and a group yeah. of people in the neighbourhood basically descend on the car and they're quite hostile. Who are yeah. you? Yeah. Show us your ID. And it seems like it yeah. could get a bit... Ugh. And then he sort of manages to talk them around and then they're talking in yeah. quite personal detail about 
their thoughts on things. Anyway, I'd really highly recommend that. And it's yeah. quite, it's bite-sized chunks, it's like 25 yeah. minutes yeah, or so, yeah, it's yeah, only five it's really episodes, so it's easy to knock over. Yeah. Um, hey, speaking of things done by people that you know, mm. I watched last night the first episode of a show that's going to start on Foxtel next month called The Secret City. It's based oh, on this is Yulman's thing? Yeah. It's based on a book called The Marmalade Files by Chris Yulman and Steve Lewis, yeah. who we know from the Press Gallery in Canberra. Um, and the book was like a political satire slash thriller element. And for the television show, it's so interesting. It's now all the satire gone, 100% yeah. thriller. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's quite funny. I mean, the great thing about the original book, and there's two in the series now because they've written another one called The Mandarin Code, I think. Um, and I remember when Yulman was writing this book, he was just unbearable, basically. You'd sort of, <laughs> you'd ring him up to have a talk about something, you know, sensible, and he'd be like, so I've just written this scene where, and he was particularly pleased with the, one of his characters and all the characters. I mean, one of the reasons why it's just fantastic fun to read this book is that all of these characters are sort of like vaguely mushed up versions <laughs> of people that you like. There's a Julia Gillard character. Oh, he, totally. Like he swaps genders sometimes yeah. to kind of cloak it a bit. But he, he's got this, God, hysterical um, Greens leader who's... Um, whose uh, secret vice is um, foie gras. <laughs> 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 like he pretends to be a vegetarian, but his house is full of these tins of foie gras. Oh my There's God. also a great um, <laughs> chapter about internal politics in the ABC involving the play school unit, having a falling out with, I think, the Four Corners team or something. <laughs> well, that happens <laughs> Just, all the time. Exactly. Yeah. It's hilarious. Anyway, so they've... Um, They've lost all of that, and now it's just straight How thriller. Funny. It looks great. I mean, I just, They've done I a very good job of it. Yeah. I saw a trailer where <laughs> this is terrible to say because, like, well, it's, it's it's Foxtel, isn't it, or something? It's hmm. yeah. But I was yeah. looking at it, and it's all it's very splody, like this yeah. jumping through windows, and <laughs> I was watching it because it was just online. And you know how you see things online, you're like, oh, which broadcaster is that? I don't know where it's going to air. But I watched it, and I thought. No, that doesn't look like an ABC production. Like, they really throwing some money at the, like, someone's actually jumping through that window rather yeah, than the sort of expensive. sound of breaking glass and sort of, you know, <laughs> look yep. of shock on someone's yep. face, which is how we'd do it. The other thing was I texted Yulman last night because there's a scene where there's a new American ambassador's arrived and he's giving a speech at some cocktail party mm. and there's a cutaway and it's Yulman. Yeah. And so I text him and you cheeky bugger, you've yeah. got yourself into a cutaway. Oh, Anyway, yeah. it was great. Very Hitchcock. Movie, yes, exactly. It? it was really great. Um, and so, yeah, I've only seen one episode, but it certainly has hooked me in. The, the sort of premise is basically skullduggery involving the Chinese embassy in yeah. Canberra and, um, okay. and Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, very good. Um, hey, I, mm, you go. Oh, I was just, as a total um, just random thought, um, I, which I haven't talked to you about um, since I've been reading this stuff, um, I have become obsessed with Alfred Deacon just because um, yes. I've been, I was sort of, thinking about Deacon initially because I went back to check. I had this feeling that maybe Malcolm Turnbull was the um, only Prime Minister who had been a journalist and a lawyer before um, before being Prime Minister. And actually, he's, a, he's the second, and the first one was Alfred Deacon. But then I started reading a bit about Deacon, who was you know, Australia's second Prime Minister, and had three stints in the Prime Ministership in the first you know, decade after Federation, which is the only period in Australian history where we've had more Prime Ministers yeah. over 10 years than we have in, yeah. um, in this period. Um, but uh, he was such a kooky guy. Like, he was a spiritualist, and he used to have seances, and all his life he did seances, and he was totally convinced that he... he was speaking 
to the soul of John Bunyan, who's that oh, writer yeah, yeah. who Pilgrim's wrote the Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And in fact, while he was at university, he wrote a contemporary reworking of the Pilgrim's Progress. He also mm. wrote a full play, like a four-act play, which is, I started in my frenzied way drawing all of these parallels with Malcolm Turnbull, who, who wrote a play, <laughs> he, he wrote a comic opera about the life of Jack Lang with Bob Ellis while he was at university. <laughs> right. Like, it's just... Every now and again, you're reminded about aspects of the crazy life that Malcolm Turnbull's had. And you're like, this would be super crazy to be just one, you know, to be the, the main interesting, oh. freaky thing in the lives of this prime minister. But with Malcolm, there's, you know, hundreds of them. Well, I just read your um, new book, actually, where you do talk about the Deacon stuff, Stop at Nothing, which is about Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah. And as you say, yeah, it, it is an unbelievably rich life. Yeah. Like, just quite... <laughs> Extraordinary, like a mo like movie level life. Well, there's this period in the 19, and, and there's like all of the biographical detail too. Like you know, mum walked out, and then you know struggled, and um, then dad killed in a plane crash, and mm. then you know working for Kerry Packer, and then in the 80s he was working for like there was this brief period where he was working for all four commercial broadcasters at once. Like <laughs> you just think, whoa, no wonder he's like off. giving those media ownership laws a bit of a shake. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Deacon. Also, um, like Turnbull, was obsessed with water. And in fact, he went to live in California for a couple of months to study their ir irrigation system. He wrote wow. a book about Southeast Asian irrig irrigation um, and was just mad about water. But the funniest thing um, that I just loved about Deacon, um, which also kind of reminds me of something that Malcolm Turnbull would do, would do although he assures me that he's not doing this, um, is that while he was Prime Minister, in fact, all three times while he was Prime Minister, he was secretly writing a column, a weekly <laughs> column in a London newspaper well, about Australian politics. Well, like he was under a pen name, obviously. Sticking the boot into his own administration. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are some where he's like, there's one fantastic extract from one column where he's like, Deacon must be hanging his head in shame or something. And you're like, well, you are Deacon. <laughs> but isn't that fantastic? And he used to get his wife to post them. And he, he used to have all these methods of um, anonymously getting the copy, you know, out of the lodge or whatever. Um, well, not that there was a lodge back then, but um, isn't that crazy? I can't remember. I love him for that. I really do. I've done a little bit of reading about some of those, you know, if I can use the American term, founding fathers. Um, and I'm often interested in their wives. I can't remember if it's Deacon's wife or Barton's wife. It might be, it might be Jane Barton, I think her name is. But anyway, it's sort of interesting, because like, you look at that era, like it was such an intensely political time. Um, and I'm just fascinated by, God, how did they get everyone to actually agree to federate? Like, you look at how hard today it is to get yeah. anyone to agree to do anything. You think that's such yeah. an epic thing to get everyone to cooperate with. Hey, we're going to have to wrap it up in a second, just because I'm sure there's probably some panic-stricken person running around out there going, yeah. what happened to this? I'm going to crab, where are they? Where are they? Um, just... And Paul Keating going, where's the loose? <laughs> where's the loose? Love. Where's Love. the loose? Love. Um, just one quick thing I wanted to say. Um, you gave me a gift of a book called Community, which is a vegetarian cookbook, like oh, yeah. salads. Yes. And I must admit that inwardly, while I appreciated the gesture, I thought, oh, how tiresome. I'm not going to cook out of this. Like, it's full of quinoa and kale and frika, or however you pronounce that. Frika, yeah. Um, well, I completely eat humble pie because I am basically cooking out of nothing else. It is the most amazing and delicious cookbook. And that's from someone sceptical about this type of bird food. My... <laughs> it's good bird food, though, isn't it? Well, it's not bird food because... 
my main beef with salads, beef, get it? <laughs> my main beef with salads is that I don't feel full. So I think I'll have a salad at one o'clock and by four o'clock I'm hungry again. Not with these salads because they've all got heaps of like protein, like they've got chickpeas or they've got yep. quinoa, or they've got grains, and they've all, almost all of them also have nuts. Yeah. Um, and often the sort of basic vegetable is a fairly hearty vegetable yeah. like broccoli or something. Mm. So I feel completely full. It's a very satisfying meal. So I started doing my I'm regular just, I'm thing. just lying back basking <laughs> in this. You, know. you should see her beaming face. I, yeah. um, so you know how my usual thing is, I get a cookbook, I go through, I write down the recipes that I want to cook, and then I go through and cook those. So I started doing that. You and then, are just beyond crackers. <laughs> Honestly, what is wrong with you? And then everything was so delicious that I abandoned that, which is very weird for me, and I just went from recipe number one, and I'm now oh, cooking really? through cooking in order. The book. Cooking in order, yep. And it, like nearly everything. There's a few that I obviously like more than others, yeah. but I haven't made a single thing yet that I haven't liked. Oh, God. It just makes me so deeply happy. Um, you know, the story <laughs> of that book, too, is really lovely. Like, it's... Um, so it's... It's the cookbook associated with some outfit called the Arthur Street Kitchen, mm -hmm. which is based in, I think, Surrey Hills. I mean, I've never ordered anything from there. Um, I Googled them. They're in Brooklyn now because it went so well. Are they? Yes. You're joking. Yeah. Are they still in Surrey Hills or they're just... I think they're just in to... Brooklyn. I oh, think no. they just went, screw you, Surrey Hills. Wow. Well, their delivery method is like they just make one big salad a day like that. And then their, deli their business model was you just ring them up and go... Uh, can you drop me some salad? And whatever turned up would just turn up. Right. And um, they deliver it by bike. Right. I mean, the most achingly hipster, you know. Well, it obviously has gone very well. But they're obviously not cycling to the ABC from bloody Brooklyn, are they? So. Do you know, we're going to have to go in a sec, but right. do you know what struck me last night as a good idea for a business? Because I was stuck at home alone with two children and could, so couldn't leave the house. And I really had a hankering for some ice cream or some chocolate yeah. or something, and there was nothing like that in the house. So I was thinking, why don't we have, like, pizza home deliveries and stuff? Like, surely there'd be a market for the 10 p.m. ice cream drop-off. I'm sure there is already. And somebody Probably. was telling me about something, but oh, in my really? way, I forget who the person is or what they told me. But You, it could, was go, you could go, I'll have a bottle of wine and some cheesecake. But there's that fantastic website called Airtasker, which is, oh, I think, one yeah. of the really interesting aspects of the, you know, evolving share economy, which is just an all-purpose jobs website. And you put jobs up there like and I know, I've got a friend she's our friend so I'll tell you who it is later I don't want to embarrass her oh, might want to be embarrassing but like she is a working mother two kids and got to the end of her tether with like her little kids room is just like a tip she's like I, I do not have two hours to sit there and sort it all out so she put it on air tasker yeah like, and someone did it yeah. That's gold. And, so, and it's like a bidding, so like you, you put up your job and then people say, well, I'll do that for 50 bucks. And someone say, well, I'll do it for 45, you know. Yeah, and so it goes from there. So I could have last night put it on Airtasker, said, who wants to go get me a piece of cheesecake? And then someone would go, I'll do it for it, five bucks. It would definitely, <laughs> can you imagine like there'd be some freak who'd do it for free and oh. turn up in the mood? I think you'd have to use a fake Oh, definitely. You just leave them, 100%. It's like, hi, I'm already outside your house as it happens. <laughs> Oh, that's I'm the one in the wetsuit. <laughs> that delightful note. We're going to go and take the stage. Thanks for joining us.